Larry, they're just bottoms. How is that not safe for work? There's been more change in the last year than there were in the last five, and more in the last five than there were in the last 50. A bronze statue called Fearless Girl now stands facing, or we should say facing off, against the Wall Street bull. I kind of got sick of hearing that diversity was good for business, and yet we were going backwards. Advertisers are winning awards for commercials and YouTube videos that focus on women and feature feminist themes. But... Do these campaigns actually drive business, and are they making any meaningful social impact? We dig into the fempertising trend in this edition of The Findings Report. Hi, I'm Molly Schreiber. And I'm Larry Vincent. And 2017, a very interesting year. Yeah, yeah, it was apocalyptic. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, that's all we're going to say about that, I think. <laughs> Sums it up. But you know what? In the debris field of 2017, there may be a silver lining. 2017 may go down in history as a cornerstone year for women. Yes, it did. I was at the Women's March Women's, women's, it wasn't just one. <laughs> there, there her were, name there was, was Samantha, few. and it was her <laughs> march. Oh, Sam. <laughs> I was at the Women's March in Los Angeles with about, I think it was 700,000 other protesters. I personally added my stories to the hashtag MeToo movement. And I now own a t-shirt with Ruth Bader Ginsburg that says Notorious RBG. So, yeah, the revolution is here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always like to look at these things through the lens of popular culture. What are people watching? What are they listening to? At the movies, something unprecedented happened. Three of the tentpole, big top movies of the year featured strong heroes played by women. We started with Emma Watson as Belle in Beauty and the Beast, the live action version. Yes, I saw it in theaters. And then came Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman, which was my favorite. And also helped by a female superhero director, Patty Jenkins. Patty, if you're listening, I am available for anything, for a movie, show, whatever. You know, hang out, get popcorn, whatever. I'm here. There you go. You put it out there. So if that was not enough for, you know, yours truly, we closed the year with The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. which The Guardian dubbed the most feminist Star Wars yet. You know, and in it, you had not one, not one, but two kick-ass heroes, Ray played by Daisy Ridley. Love her. And then the late Carrie Fisher, turning in a powerful last performance as General Leia. Oh, love her. Me too. We've talked about politics. We've talked about movies. Brands have also been picking up on this trend. Actually, they've been doing it for many years. In fact, the big winner at the Clio's and the Can Lions in 2017 was Fearless Girl. Are you familiar with it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Fearless Girl is dope. I mean, if they sold little tiny versions of them, I would have one in my house. It's a bronze statue called Fearless Girl now stands facing, or we should say facing off, against the Wall Street bull intended as a symbol to promote gender diversity at the very top level. It was put there by investment management firm State Street Global Advisors. And I love... We're going to come back to Fearless Girl a little later in the program. For now... Just think of it as a proof point for how much feminism is resonating in culture and specifically in advertising and branding. This trend is so prevalent, there's actually a new mashup term for it, femvertising. Mm -hmm. And that's what today's episode is all about. But does it work, Larry? Does it work? Uh, I think the answer to that is pretty simple. If it didn't work, advertisers wouldn't be doing it. You know, the Dove Real Beauty campaign, these videos where women are harsher on their own appearance than strangers, 
It's hard to believe that campaign launched in 2004. No way. I did not know that. And what I'm saying on this is if it wasn't driving sales, Dove would have abandoned that campaign a long time ago. Okay, but are these campaigns actually accompanying the movements in making real change? So are they changing society or are they actually just capitalizing on society's desire for change? It's a fair question. Uh, For perspective, I interviewed three women who are experts on this very topic. I'm Linda Ong. I'm the Chief Culture Officer at Civic Entertainment Group. We know Linda. We actually chatted with her for the episode on the Fire Festival. Yes. And a lot of her research has focused on women and culture today. Along that same line of thinking, I reached out to someone who's been on the inside of some of these campaigns. My name is Heather Lefevre. I'm an independent branding consultant, and I've written a book called Brain Surfing, the Top Marketing Strategy Minds in the World. Heather's been a planning director at great creative advertising agencies like Crispin Porter, and she's recently collaborated with brands on female-forward campaigns. And last, but certainly not least, is one of my heroes. Well, you've been interviewing a lot of your heroes this season. All right. Uh, why not? <laughs> Start strong. That's right. I have a special place in my heart for this one, though. I'm Shelly Zalis, the CEO of The Female Quotient and the founder of The Girls' Lounge. And I've been well known in my career to be the chief troublemaker um, because I do break the rules to create new ones. Oh, Shelly, I like you already. She started her career as a researcher, then went on to be the first woman to serve as CEO of a global research company. Today, she's a driving force for change in the advertising and marketing world, and her main focus is closing the gender gap. 90% of parents say there are no role models for their daughters in entertainment and and advertising today, which is really pretty remarkable. Uh, 55% of women say that they see women portrayed in a negative way. So there is a real truth Um, This is not stuff you can make up. This is really the reality that we're living in today. But it's also the opportunity that we have to be better and be conscious and make a difference and create change. Yes, Shelly, preach, girl, preach. Sign me up. All right. So let's start with what is reflected on air. Uh, The reason I think that the Dove campaign and Like a Girl, a campaign created by Always, the reason why I think they have resonated so much is because they are moving away from an outdated model that... It's not just about shrinking and pinking products and saying, oh, this is, you know, girly and um, let's just put that out there. Or, you know, all the new pens that you see, they just make them, you know, thinner. Shrinking and pinking. Oh, that is a foul term. Yep. My favorite example came from Bic, you know, the company that makes like pens and things. Mm -hmm. They made a pen called Bic for Her. Woof. Molly, why don't you read the product description that that was posted on Amazon? Oh, I I would love to do that. Oh, okay. I'll put on my my commercial voice. Good idea. Give me a sec. Okay. Okay. The Bic for Her is a pen designed just for her. It's a sleek pen silhouette and jeweled accents add style. It's a soft contoured grip for all-day comfort and also features the easy glide system, Bic's exclusive ink technology for beautifully smooth writing, also available in fashion inks. Oh my God. I quit. There you go. I I quit. I quit life after doing that. (laughs) So, so... (laughs) You are not alone in your contempt. In fact, the comment stream on Amazon for this product is epic. Oh, yes, it is. I have read it. We read it. It was so good. We asked some of our actress friends to phone in and reenact the comments. Have a listen. The lady pen writes beautifully. 
My only complaint is that once a month it leaks out some ink. I received these pens for my wedding. Unfortunately, I can't write or type. <laughs> my husband's actually typing for me. However, I do so love the pretty colors. Since discovering these pens, my urges for radical feminism have ceased. Now that I and my fellow sisters have our very own pens, who needs equal pay, bodily autonomy, or to be treated like I'm more than just a baby factory with fabulous legs? There's a pen just for us! We've made it! Now that I have the big pen for her, I'm able to write words like cooking, cleaning, and having children. Oh, I'm so relieved I'm able to write words for women now. Maybe someday I'll even be able to use my pen for her to fill out a voting ballot. <gasps> Just kidding. I know my place. When I heard about your product, being a typical over-emotional woman, um, I was moved to tears. I can finally learn to write like all the big, strong boys. I used to get so frustrated and upset when I tried to use the confusing man pens, but maybe I was just PMSing. <laughs> okay. Contrast what you just heard with the Like a Girl campaign by Always. Hi, Aaron. Hi. If you haven't seen this spot, it's set up like an audition. The director asks grown women, men, boys to do things like a girl. Okay, so I'm going to just give you some actions to do. and Just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. And we see grown women who are doing ridiculously girly impressions of girl runs. <laughs> Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aww. And then they gave young girls the same instructions. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. And these little badass girls, they just unleash. They go to town, they Fight run like, like Olympians, they run like athletes. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. I, honestly, I love this spot. I remember when I first saw it, and it was so striking, and it really hit something in my inner little girl who grew up being an athlete and said, yeah, that's what we're like. That's what little girls should think of themselves. 100%. I have seen this piece hundreds of times because I usually put it up on screen when I'm out doing speaking engagements, and it still gets my eyes wet. And Heather had a very interesting perspective on why that piece works where others do not. There's no insight in making something pink. There's, there is insight in understanding how the female experience is different from um, either a gender-neutral experience or the male experience. But I think that advertising touches the heart. You know, we can um, justify things with our head, the cognitive side of our brain, and um, talk ourselves into out of something or decide we're just not going to pay attention. But when you touch the heart, you can't make that go away. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. You have that heartbeat that you have to pay attention to. And I think that advertising really made us feel um, very differently, made us feel how um, ridiculous these stereotypes are. Linda thinks that one of the reasons it works so well is because we're at a very interesting moment in time. There's been more change in the last year than there were in the last five and more in the last five than there were in the last 50. Yes. 
in my lifetime, this has felt like the most tumultuous and active time for women's rights. And yet, equal pay, equal representation, equal power in the workplace still elude us. And that brings us back to Fearless Girl. The firm behind Fearless Girl, a statue meant to celebrate women in leadership, apparently doesn't pay its women leadership the same as men. State Street Global Advisors agreed to a $5 million settlement to pay back some female and black employees whom, according to a federal audit that started in 2012, the company discriminated against. Oh my God, you're kidding me. So it's just yet another empty campaign. Once again, we are back at this razor's edge. You know, we've danced along it in several other episodes. It's the push-pull between signaling what you're about and then walking the talk. Yeah, Shelley pulls it apart well. I don't want to fault State Street for um, what they haven't done. I'd like to give them credit for what they have done. And I think Fearless Girl was such a powerful message and, and gave us all such, you know, inspiration. I think that was that should be applauded. However, at the same time, you can't do something that just is, is putting the makeup on to look back. It has to be deep-rooted. So if they are making that commitment to put this inspirational message out there, this is the right time to think about what else in the company can you be doing. But this is a new conversation for all of us. You know, we're going to start seeing this, this come up with all companies. And it doesn't mean we can't start now. When we come back from the break, we'll hear insights from our guests on what brands can do to be better. Stick around for more of The Findings Report. You may have noticed that we take a break about halfway through each episode. That's because Molly and I wanted to give you a chance to catch your breath while we switch gears. We don't have sponsors on this show. Instead, we use the break to promote our favorite causes. Well, in the spirit of this femvertising episode, we decided to dedicate the break to a couple of businesses that are founded and led by women. They are our friends, and they are great entrepreneurs, and we hope you'll check them out. Hey, it's Molly here. I wanted to talk about another podcast called The Absolute Worst. It's by my friends Allison Royer and Dana Powell. And you can guess it, it talks about the absolute worst things that you call in and talk about. They have been new and noteworthy on iTunes, and you can check them out there. Hey, it's Larry Vincent. My adventures in marketing have led me to some truly inspiring brands. Ebby is one of those. Ebby is a brand with a purpose. It makes women's seamless underwear sold by subscription. Designed for women of all shapes and sizes, it's what Ebby does in the background that matters most. 10% of every purchase goes into a microfinance fund that empowers women entrepreneurs all around the world to move out of poverty and into business. Treat yourself or the women in your life to an Ebby subscription. Go to join-eby.com to learn more. Hey, Larry Vincent here. And Molly Schreiber. Before the break, we talked about the differences between shrink and pink marketing, my least favorite phrase of all time, like the big pen for her, <laughs> and this newer trend with the fancy new title. Uh, femvertising, but I can't say that I'm a fan of that label. It just doesn't sit right for some reason. Why? It's too catchy, too too cute, too much uh, of like a, a hybrid word. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it reflects the content. 
I think the campaigns we've already singled out, Dove, Always, these campaigns are empathetic. To go back to Heather's comment, they're approaching a subject with an insight that's taken from women's experience, and that perspective resonates with women a lot right now. Here's Shelley. When you look at the hashtag MeToo movement, I mean, it really started a whole new um, movement or momentum because women realize they're not alone and they don't need to conform to the boys club to get ahead. For those of you who haven't heard of the Me Too movement, it all started after news broke of Harvey Weinstein's serial sexual harassment and sexual assault of actresses. The entertainment industry had this flood of women telling their stories because for the first time, women believed that the world would listen and these men would actually finally face consequences. Then it went beyond just actresses to other workplaces, and then it spread to an international movement of all kinds of women sharing their stories of sexual harassment and assault, both in the workplace and in everyday life, with the hashtag MeToo. And I think it is a watershed moment. Me Too is becoming something bigger than just the sequence of events that that led to its hashtag. Some women see it as a new brand for feminism. And I'll tell you something, you know, that word, the, the F word, feminism, has, has troubled me for a while because of the stigma that's become attached to it. I have uh, a few friends in academia who teach feminism. And year after year, they keep telling me that when they ask young women in their classes to raise their hands if they consider themselves a feminist, Fewer and fewer hands are raised each year. I mean, why is that? What? I guess I guess I haven't been in college for a few years, but that's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. I think the best I can guess, it has something to do with the bra-burning, man-hating stereotype that has been perpetuated, let's face it, by men. Mm-hmm. Shelley thinks feminism may be due for a rebrand. Oh, I think feminism needs to evolve. And I respelled feminism to include the word men. So I spelled it F-E-M-E-N. So I put men in feminism, F-E-M-E-N-I-S-M. Modern feminism must include men. Women are 50% of the population. We can't talk to each other. We need men must be part of the solution. Um, And gender equality is not a female issue. We make it that because we're the ones that are resulting in, you know, all the the challenges that we have today. But gender equality is a social and economic issue. Yes. Feminists can't create change in a vacuum. We also need male allies in order to create change. Yeah, that's where it gets done, in collaboration. I have so much respect for our three guests today because they didn't just throw up their hands. They're not just observers. Each of them is in the trenches making change. Linda is advising several media companies on how to better reflect women in their content. And that's important because those subtle cues in movies and TV can reinforce stereotypes. Right now, we know women have are at the peak economic status that we've seen. Hopefully, it will continue and rise. But we've never seen the economic power of women as, as we have today. And what we see is they're the leaders in society and they're majority of small business owners are women. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done in executive ranks and boardrooms and things like that. But the growth is all coming from women. The breadwinners that are women are growing. So what you see now is that they become or they're becoming society's gatekeepers. They're the leaders in society. We don't really see that portrayed so much. We still see them as the leaders of the household. 
and the leaders of the family. But in addition to that, and those things are important, but in addition to that, we need to see how women are affecting the world as doctors, as teachers, as politicians, as small business owners, as community organizers. There's a lot of other ways. And, and I think because the lens has always come from a traditionally male point of view, it's not been as diverse as women really are. You know Lean In, right? Oh, yeah. It's on my bookshelf. It was actually a gift from a fellow badass woman friend of mine. Well, it's become more than just a book. Lean In, the nonprofit organization that Sheryl Sandberg founded after the book became a bestseller, has struck a partnership with Getty Images, which is where everyone in my industry goes for stock photography. The deal was to create more image libraries of women through the lens Linda just described. You really can't imagine how much bad stereotypical images of women were bloating stock libraries. That's changing. And I encourage anyone who uses stock photography to start with the Lean In collection on Getty. The images are beautiful and powerful. And Shelley has also done some work in this area, right? Yeah, she was the co-founder of an industry movement called See Her. And it really was a challenge to all advertisers. Can we portray girls and women in accurate and realistic ways in both advertising and entertainment? And can we move at least 20% of our dollars to advertising that reflects the See Her initiative by 2020. Okay. I can't tell you how many commercials I've done where I've been dressed as the bridesmaid, the button-down mom, the girlfriend. Like, there are more ways to show women we do other things. Uh, 100%. And Shelley doesn't just scold advertisers or lobby them to change. She's giving them more. So we created a new industry standard for all advertisers and for programmers um, called GEM, the Gender Equality Measure. It's just a very simple um, four-question module that asks consumers after they view an ad or those that are viewers of TV programming if girls and women are presented in a favorable way, respectful way, role model. Um, and then we, we put it on a five-point scale from strongly agree to strongly disagree. So it's been a very um, amazing movement that in just one short year, we've tested over 30,000 ads with GEM scores. And all of a sudden, there's accountability for change. Heather had a similar itch to create measures of accountability. Heather's background is as a planner in advertising, and that field was dominated by men who are uh, just like Larry Vincent. Unfortunately, yes. A lot of, in a lot of British, balding men with <laughs> you glasses. Are, you are not British, but I, not, I like that you're disguising yeah, yourself. everything else. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it was dominated by men similar to the kind of person I'm sitting opposite this table from, Larry Vincent. But Heather was never really sure if she was being compensated at the same level. So she started an annual survey of organizations to anonymously share the various pay grades of strategists and planners. And this was not a male-female thing at all. People read the survey for transparency, but of course, a lot of women realized they were underpaid. And then they had the data to give them the courage to ask for higher wages. Yeah, and then there's Shelly and the girls' lounge. This is such a great story. I kind of got sick of hearing that diversity was good for business, and yet we were going backwards. In the United States, the World Economic Forum measures um, countries on gender equality. It's global goal number five. And out of 144 countries, the United States, three years ago, do you know what number it was? Hazard a guess. I am afraid to ask. Spoiler alert, it's not very high. Of course it isn't. It's 28. Two years ago, it was 44. This year, I think it was 46. So 
I think we're going down. I think we're going backwards. We went from 28 three years ago to 46 last year. That's sad. And this is the kind of data that drove Shelley to make a career change and do something. I really believe that um, we collectively can make a difference. You know, we're powered by collaboration. And so we started the company with um, our first pillar, which was called the Girls' Lounge, which is a space at industry conferences for corporate women to connect, collaborate, and activate change together. And it's a really authentic space where we have unplugged conversation, share advice, and encourage each of us to find our voice, discover our strength, and bring that to the workplace. Hold up, hold up, hold up. When she says industry conferences, she's really talking about some of the most influential events there are for marketers and for corporate decision makers. We're talking CES, South by Southwest, Davos. These are not only influential gatherings, they also are traditionally male-dominated. And Shelley's team shakes things up when they participate. Check out what she does at Davos. This is a place where world leaders gather. Well, you know, the wage gap is just such a silly conversation. Um, in the United States, women on average get paid 79 cents on the dollar. So we decided to sensationalize it because it's just so silly. And we sell chocolate for a dollar to men and 79 cents to women. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's so snarky and it's meaningful. And that is a peanut butter jelly sandwich. <laughs> well, it must be because the press took note. This is a big story, and it goes to show that there are creative ways to engage women and raise awareness of the issues that matter to them. Yes, absolutely. And, oh, you got to talk about Heather's story of suit supply. Oh, yes. Yeah, suit yeah, 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 yeah. So they're a Dutch brand, and they have sold men's suits for a long time, and now they're coming out with a line of women's suits. And like three or four years ago, the men's campaign that they did was very provocative. It's like a man in a suit and a naked woman lounging in a fancy apartment next to him. And so when they launched the women's campaign, they did the reverse. So it's the woman in the power suit and the man lounging around completely naked. So we have a link to this <laughs> campaign on the site. It's maybe not entirely safe for work. Oh, come on. Although Heather chastised me for saying so. Larry, they're just bottoms. How is that not safe for work? They're butts. It's some, some butts. Yeah, everybody sees butts. Yeah, there's there's no full frontal nudity or anything like that. So if you want to check the link, it's safe. But, you know, the statement is bold and compelling. When you flip the stereotype, the message cannot be ignored. So let's flip all the stereotypes. Let's flip it and let's make a new message. I'm loving this new direction of, for lack of a better term, femvertising. Mm -hmm. I just want it to be genuine. Mm -hmm. I want it to be authentic. So my two cents I'm dropping in the bucket as a woman in the entertainment field who both watches advertising and is in advertising in a way. Hire women. Bring women into the room. Have their feedback. If you have a room of all men writing ads for women, targeted women for a product for women, you need a woman's voice in the room. I think that's the important piece here is it's it's uh, going all the way back to the beginning of the show of, of showing it from a woman's experience. There's one last piece we haven't really addressed and uh, gets into this inside out approach, gets us back to Fearless Girl and State Street a little bit. I'm actually aiming this advice squarely at advertising agencies and their media partners who help brands go to market. It sounds like you just threw down the gauntlet. I kind of did because I come from this. So these folks are creating some beautiful stories, some of which we just mentioned today. But if you look within their ranks, you'd be a little surprised to see that diversity has not been their strong suit. 
Well, today still like 90% of creative directors and agencies are men, you know, so it was treating women as others, just the way people of color were treated like others. Or they might think, um, we have five men on the account already, we need to hire a woman. So, I mean, I've talked to a lot of companies where that is the brief, like we're, we're, we have to hire a woman. And then when you find out that that's their mandate, yeah, then it's like, okay, well, will anyone do, <laughs> you know? But all of our experts agree that this mentality is changing. It's being forced to. Actually, Shelley provided a great example. She brought up the Girl Scouts of America, which spends a lot of money every year with agencies and marketing partners. And they woke up one day and said, wow, you know, we are all about empowering young girls to rise to leadership and, and believe they can be anything they can imagine. And we looked at our vendors and we realized they don't have diverse slates. And so they went back and said, if you want to be a vendor for the Girl Scouts, 30% of your workforce has to be um, diverse, has to have women. And they started putting their money where their mouth is. A lot of companies are following the Girl Scouts' lead. But the truth is, you shouldn't do it just to check the boxes, you know, meet the minimum requirements necessary to win an account, or to score better on a gym uh, score so that you can win awards and recognition. There's a lot of performance data to suggest that bringing women into focus with realistic stories from their point of view is a sound business strategy. Heather shared data from a recent project that she just finished up for Unilever. They recently released the results publicly. So Unilever did a study of 650 ads of, you know, theirs and competitors in their categories. And they saw that 80% of those ads feature women and 60% of them featured a female stereotype. And that research was done last year. And so of those 60%, only 4% of those women were portrayed aspirationally, 3% were portrayed as intelligent, and 0.3% were portrayed as funny. 0.03%? Are you for real? Is that... Could it be any smaller? <laughs> I knew that would rile you. <laughs> I mean, I can name 50 hilarious women friends of mine right now. I can give you their email addresses. Have them write your ads. But here's the kicker. You know, that study that I just told you about, um, it said that unstereotypical portrayals of women are 25% more effective, right? So they finally figured out that not being stereotypical is more effective for your brand. So now we're going to start doing it. Not when we know in our heart that the thing that we're doing is wrong. I mean, this is not rocket science. Show women as three-dimensional human beings, and maybe we will buy your product for our three-dimensional lives. Okay. All right. Well I could, said. I'm getting well riled said. up. I mean, this is clearly something that I find very personal. That's it for today's show. <laughs> we'll cut hard, in right? hard yeah. out. Next time on The Findings Report. If you can't believe your eyes, then maybe trust your ears. In the next episode of The Findings Report, we explore the mysterious way that sounds affect our perception of product and brand experiences. Researcher Michael Lowe reveals how pitch can change how big or how small we think a product is. And we meet a composer and a gastrophysicist who can make you hear chocolate. That's what's coming up on the next episode of The Findings Report. Special thanks to our three guests, Heather Lefevre, favorite name I've heard this week, Linda Ong, Shelly Zalis. You can learn more about them and their work in the episode guide for today's show at our website, findingsreport.com. Thanks also to Kathy Bierman and Haley Mancini for lending us their awesome voices when we dramatize the Bick for Her comment stream. Which is my new favorite show. 
We love your feedback, your comments, your questions. Please send them all our way. It helps us make the show better. You can reach us at Twitter on the show's handle at Findings Report, or you can connect with me at Mo Shrive. And me at L. Vincent. You can also follow us on all your favorite social networks, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn. We're there, so don't be a stranger. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show's feed wherever you get your podcasts. And you should subscribe to The Findings Report, our weekly newsletter that shares new research and insights on consumers, media, culture. It's absolutely free, and you can subscribe at findingsreport.com slash subscribe. That's it for this edition. For The Findings Report, I'm Larry Vincent. And I'm Molly Schreiber. We'll be back soon.